Welcome to day 35 of the story that changes everything. Today's readings are Leviticus chapters 10 through 12 and Psalm 15. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. Chapter 10 opens with the brief but tragic story of the deaths of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. The text is not completely clear on what they did to merit such harsh judgment. Did they use the wrong incense or mixture of incense? Did they mix the incense with the wrong source of fire? Some interpreters speculate that perhaps they came too close to the unique presence of God. The narrative only lasts seven verses, and then the text takes a dramatic turn at verse 8 and condemns the use of strong alcohol by the priests, which has led some commentators to speculate that perhaps Nadab and Abihu were struck down by the Lord's fire because they were drunk and not paying close enough attention to the work that they were given to do as priests. It's difficult to say what happened with any certainty, but it's clear they weren't being careful enough. It is interesting, however, to notice that frequently in the scripture, when God does something new among the people, that a narrative quickly follows that gives an example of someone not doing this new thing appropriately, that then serves as a warning for how seriously God takes obeying and living into whatever this new reality is. We certainly saw that earlier in Exodus, when in chapter 31, God had just finished handing over the tablets of the Torah to Moses, and then in the very next chapter, the people are building the golden calf. And here, the story of Nadab and Abihu has a lot of resonance with the much later story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. There, the Spirit of God has just formed a new community of trust, care, and sharing. But in the very next moment, here is this couple struck down by God for not living into it faithfully and honestly. These texts may seem extreme to us, but there is no question that their intention is to invite the community of faith to live in holy awe and reverence of God, and to take seriously and carefully a call to obedience. Again, like C.S. Lewis's Aslan, Yahweh is good but not safe. It's also not clear by the end of the chapter why Moses is so angry with the priests for not eating the meat from the purification offering. Some commentators speculate that what's at issue is if the priests don't eat the meat, Moses is afraid that the people will think their sin isn't forgiven, that somehow the sin has contaminated the meat. And so if the priests eat it, it witnesses to the fact that the sin has been absolved, it's been forgiven. Nevertheless, Aaron seems to respond to Moses that in light of what had just happened to his sons, he's just being cautious with God's presence, and that seems to appease Moses' concerns. Chapter 10 is the last of three chapters dealing with the priesthood and purity. And now we get five chapters, chapters 11 through 15, that deal with various purity laws or codes. Chapter 11 deals with various codes or restrictions related to food. There are some theories about what may make an animal clean or unclean in these texts. Some have speculated that the pure animals for Israel are those that are involved in the sacrificial system and all others are considered unclean. Some others have speculated that any animal that is carnivorous and eats other animals, that makes it automatically unclean. Unfortunately, however, there seems to be no set theory or category that's been able to fully crack the code on what makes something clean or unclean. As we think about these diet restrictions, let me tell three quick stories. A number of years ago, I was a guest in China, and while I was there, I ate a lot of new things for me. But I was at one meal, and I saw something I thought looked familiar. There was this 
bucket with shrimp on skewers that had been roasted. And so I took one of them, began to try to peel the shell off in part uh, because that's the way I'm used to eating that. And the eyeballs were still on it looking at me. Across the table, somebody caught my eye and kind of shook their head. They reached over, grabbed one of the skewers and just ate it whole. And I realized, oh, that's how I'm supposed to eat it. Well, well, in China, do what they do. And so I took a bite of it, eyeballs and all. It wasn't my favorite thing. Another time, I was in Peru, and I was in a restaurant, and they were offering us kui. And as I looked around the walls at what is this kui, and they had pictures of it in various ways of being cooked, I realized, oh, these are guinea pigs. and <laughs> I couldn't do it. Um, guinea pigs had been pets for us and for our kids growing up, but here I was in this place that had made a food staple of them. My third story doesn't have to do with food, but with cleanliness. Do you remember in the early days of the COVID virus, we weren't really sure how it was being passed to people. Was it only airborne or was it staying on surfaces? As I was leading the church, I was getting all sorts of advice and advertising in those early days about various sanitizing products and how we needed to clean the sanctuary in the church and various surfaces. But the reality was, at the time, it was so new and so many tests were being made that we really weren't sure how it was being passed. So we were trying everything we could to make sure we didn't get each other sick. I think these stories illustrate three things about these texts. The first is that a lot of what we think of as not only edible, but desirable, is culturally shaped. Along those same lines, cultures think of animals differently. What is food to one culture is a pet to another, and what is a zoo animal to us is a delicacy for somebody else. And also then, what is good for us and or harmful for us is always a bit of a moving target. Something that we used to think of as healthy is now unhealthy, and some things that may be unhealthy for us today we find actually have benefits for us tomorrow. I think some of these questions about food and culture and cleanliness, they're all at work in this text. And just like us, they're all very confused about it. But what is clear in chapter 11 is that God's people will be very unique in the world and are called to be so. Holiness is not just something formed in our thoughts, but it affects the way we live. And no area is exempt from being formed by holiness. Part of being holy is to pay attention to the formation of our appetites. Holy people are willing to discipline their desires, and what we hunger for is a good place to start. Chapter 12 is a brief chapter that deals with ceremonial purity related to childbirth. It's important that we distinguish between moral and ceremonial impurity. For example, it's one thing to not invite somebody to dinner or to exclude them from the table because you know that they're immoral or perhaps even violent. But it's another thing to not let somebody come to the table until they've gone and washed their hands. In this text, women who have recently given birth obviously are not excluded from worship because they bear some guilt or shame. This chapter has to do with how they are viewed ceremonially, not morally. The process of giving birth, especially in the ancient world where the event could be quite risky to the mother, is this odd combination of both life and death. Birth certainly creates new life, but it also involves so many things we associate with death, in particular pain and blood. And in that light, we might be able to understand why someone who had gone through that kind of process might be viewed by the community as ceremonially unclean for a time. 
a number of interpreters look at this text and view them as just ancient and problematic remnants of a highly patriarchal age, and that is certainly possible. However, it's also possible to have a more charitable reading that would see this as a kind of ancient form of maternity leave, excluding a woman from the requirement of worship, the requirements of hospitality, and even intimacy with her husband, until she has had time to fully recover. Even the odd doubling of the time of separation after having a girl rather than a boy may be understood positively and not just negatively as honoring the idea that this female child too will someday go through this same process. These purity texts may seem distant and foreign and a bit strange to us, but should we really see them as that strange? Like you, I grew up in a culture thinking animals like cows and chickens are delicious and other animals like horses and dogs probably just ought to be pets. I've tasted zebra and alligator meat, but between you and me, I'd prefer that I just visit them in the zoo. People in my congregation would probably complain or at least gossip a bit if my wife never attended worship, but you know, it didn't bother anybody when she missed the first few Sundays after each of her children were born. It's not unusual for new parents to wait a while before putting their newborn in the nursery or taking them out in public to face a world full of germs. People expect me to dress with a certain kind of respect, especially in my role as a pastor. I was raised to never wear a hat in the sanctuary during worship, and I still haven't done that. I don't know if any of that is odd or good or just cultural. However, I do think it reminds us that living the life we believe God hopes for us and perhaps even expects from us means that no area, including food and forming families, is exempt from reflecting deeply about what the holy life looks like. The psalm text for today, Psalm 15, wonders who can live in the Lord's tent. Like these Leviticus texts, the psalmist is sure it's only those who live free of blame and those who do what is right. These texts, again, may seem like strange answers, but the question, how do we live the holy life, is still the right one. So read today's scriptures carefully, looking for things you've never seen before. Listen to what the Spirit might say to you through the scripture today. Journal some of your reflections, questions, and prayers. And wash your hands before you come to the dinner table. Our readings for tomorrow are Leviticus chapters 13 through 15. I'll talk to you tomorrow.